Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you all as we gather for worship on uh, this Lord's Day. Uh, if you're visiting with us here at Providence, we would like to welcome you to our church. If you, we do hope you're blessed this morning that you are warmly received uh, by our congregation. I want to, do want to say uh, we're very happy to be back from vacation. My family and I took uh, one week off. We had some good rest and good time together. And we thank you for the time off. But we are very happy uh, to, be, to be back uh, with you and uh, to see you and to worship with you. So uh, thank you and um, we're excited to be here. Uh, we've got a big uh, day before us, a big service. Very excited about this. I was very excited to uh, do this and to have this be our uh, first Sunday back. Uh, we will be ordaining two new deacons into our church this morning. So be prepared uh, for that. We're looking forward to that. Um, before we do begin our service of worship, we do have uh, several announcements, one of which was uh, what I've just said. We will be ordaining uh, David Capella and John Springer into the office of deacon uh, this morning. Now, uh, be prepared later on because you will be asked to participate uh, in this uh, ordination service. The congregation will be asked, uh, you will be asked a question about um, supporting these men at, at, later on when we ordain them. So be prepared. Uh, for that. Uh, also, Women's Bible Study meets this Tuesday, February 27th at uh, 10 a.m. So it's the Ladies Bible Study this Tuesday. Also, we are pleased to announce, and I'm sorry I didn't have this in the announcements, but uh, we have approved Ben and Diana Delorier for membership at Providence. And so uh, we will receive them in a worship service uh, very soon. Also, next Sunday, we will celebrate Holy Communion. There will be no fellowship meal next week. And uh, there's a note there about uh, an additional collection that will be taken up next week in support of the Deacons Fund. And so uh, be prepared uh, for that as well. Also, if you would like to donate food to the food pantry, please, uh, please bring those items uh, next Sunday. There will not be an evening service next Sunday as we are serving, uh, celebrating communion. So no evening service uh, next Sunday. Also, if you would keep on your minds and your hearts the various prayer requests that are listed there in the insert in your bulletin this week, our family of the week as the Fokema family. So please pray for Brandon and Ruth and uh, Avery uh, this week. Also, just a couple of things uh, I would like to mention uh, since I haven't been here in a couple of uh, weeks. Autumn Broccolo, of course, as you know, uh, came out of her heart surgery very well. She's uh, doing nicely. She's recovering very well. She is still in uh, the NICU, so please continue to pray for her. Uh, looks to be going good for her, so please continue to pray for Autumn and her family. And uh, also please uh, continue to pray for uh, Aiden Potts and his family. We're excited, still excited about the arrival of, of Aiden into the world, so please pray for the Potts in that regard. Well, friends, we have gathered here in the name of Christ to worship the only true and living God. As the music plays now, let us prepare our hearts to worship him.
And to the saints of Providence Presbyterian Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would now please stand as we hear God call us to worship him from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us now sing the doxology. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. O Lord, you are our help and our shield, and we put our trust in you. We pray, Father, that you would bless us this day, and we pray, O Lord, that you would draw near to us, that we may glory in your name through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you, O Father, and the Holy Spirit be all praise and glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to Psalm 150C, Psalm 150C, sing hallelujah, praise the Lord.
Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite you now to turn to the front of your Trinity hymnals to page Roman numeral 16. On page Roman numeral 16 at the front of your hymnal, you will find a list of the Ten Commandments, which we will recite out loud together, friends, this morning. And as we do so, let us be mindful of all the ways in which we fall short of God's glory and let us seek mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Beloved, having heard God's law, let us confess our sins to God together by reciting the prayer of confession that is listed in the insert in your bulletin. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. You are the God of my salvation. And for you I wait all the day long. Whosoever puts his trust in you shall not be put to shame. You have led me in your truth, and you teach me by your spirit. But I am lonely and afflicted because of my sin. The troubles of my heart are enlarged, and my guilt is great. My transgressions are many. The sins of my youth are a burden to my soul. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. Amen. Well, beloved, God is gracious. He is merciful. He is abounding in steadfast love. And he is quick to answer our cries 
for help when we give them. He gives Christians assurance in his word that for those who trust in Jesus Christ, their sins have been forgiven, as we see in Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would now turn uh, with me back in your hymnals to Psalm 51c, God be merciful to me, Psalm 51c, and we are only going to sing stanzas one through four, and let's all stand together as we sing. seated. As you can see, we're going to take a short break from our series of the book of Philippians uh, this morning uh, by looking at Acts chapter 6. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. The reason we are looking at this particular portion of scripture is because in the New Testament, in the New Church, in Jesus Christ, this is where the office of deacon comes into existence. And in light of the fact that we are ordaining deacons this morning, I thought it would be helpful for us uh, to look at this section of Scripture. So it will be Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7. Acts 
Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, how can a man keep his way pure but by guarding it according to your word? Blessed are you, O God, in whom is light, and there's no darkness at all. We pray, Father, this morning, as we hear your word read and preached, that you would purify us by your word. Help us, O God, not to wander from your commandments. Give us grace to store up your word in, your heart, in our hearts that we might not sin against you. For we often do sin against you daily. And so we pray, Father, that you would forgive us of our sins, purify us, and help us to turn away from our sin as we hear your voice. We ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, beloved, this is the word of God. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. This text begins with, in these days, or in these days. What were these days? Well, these are the days when the New Testament church and the power of the Spirit was founded and was advancing in the world. That are the, those are the days that are being spoken of here in the first verse. Ananias and Sapphira, we are told, if you look back at the previous chapters or the previous uh, the previous chapters, which recollect uh, what happened in the church at this time, Ananias and Sapphira, we are told, lied to the Holy Spirit when they kept back some of the proceeds that they had earned from selling some of their property. They both lied, they both died, rather, they both died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Because they lied to the Holy Spirit, they lied to God, and therefore their judgment was just. We saw that this was taking place in the midst of these days. Many signs and miracles were being done by the apostles during these days. Unclean spirits were cast out. Sicknesses were healed. The apostles were eventually arrested, only later to be freed by an angel of the Lord. This is, these are the kinds of things that were happening in these days. So they were freed from prison so that they could continue to preach and teach Jesus. Well, their opponents, the unbelieving Jews, still tried to stop them. They continued to try to stop what the apostles were doing. But the apostles said, we must obey God and continue to preach the gospel. They said Jesus was killed by being hanged on a tree. These are the kinds of things that they 
preached. But God, the God of Abraham, raised Jesus and exalted him as Savior. This is the banner under which they did their work, the banner of the risen King, the risen Savior. They said, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. As a result of their response, they were persecuted further because they said, we cannot stop preaching the word of God. We cannot stop proclaiming Christ. They experienced further persecution. They were beaten and then told not to speak in the name of Jesus, which, of course, they could not do. And they continued to do just that. They had to speak about Jesus. But then, in God's gracious providence, they were freed, and they rejoiced, and they said that they considered it an honor to be counted worthy to suffer this honor for the name. They counted it worthy, something to rejoice over, to suffer on behalf of Christ. After this, these men, the apostles, continued to do exactly what they said they must do. They did not cease teaching and preaching in the temples, going from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, we should recognize here that although Jesus had been raised, he is raised, he had gone off into heaven, the Spirit was poured out at this point, the church was growing, multitudes of men and women were coming to the faith, that were believing and were drawn to the preaching of the gospel. Although this was all happening and it was all wonderful, the focus of the apostles' ministry was still, at this point, in Jerusalem. Paul had not yet been converted. So all of this was taking place at this point in and around Jerusalem, and only there, primarily. So in worldly terms, compared to the millions in the Roman Empire and all that the Roman Empire was involved in around the world, compared to the Roman Empire and what they stood for and how many people they had and how much influence they had, the church was still small. But it was growing. It was growing in number and growing in grace. And now in these days when the disciples were increasing, this increasing number, also in verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So the church is growing. The numbers are, are ticking up. Even large numbers of priests became obedient, became believers, became obedient to the faith, as we see in this section. This is still, this is what was happening in the church. Compared to the world, small, but growing, multiplying. Disciples were, more and more disciples were coming to the faith. Now, friends, this is what we should be after as a church. We should not be afraid of increasing numbers. We should not be resistant to all kinds of people coming to this church here, Providence, to hear the word of God. We should expect that. We should pray for that, that the Lord would increase our numbers. And so this is something that we should be after as a church. Now, not for the sake of numbers. That is a different motive altogether, is it not? We don't pray for numbers to increase for the sake of numbers so we can boast in numbers. That's what other uh, churches may, they may actually do. No, we pray that the Lord would bring us more families, as many as he pleases, so that more and more families might hear the gospel. So that the ministry of the word might touch more lives. That is why we should not be afraid of our churches growing. And that's why we should be after our churches growing on 
to a certain extent. As these families are incorporated into the life of our churches, we would also pray that they would become more and more obedient to the faith. So again, it's not about numbers for the sake of numbers. It's about families coming to hear the gospel and those families staying to be nurtured by the gospel and grow in grace, becoming obedient to the faith, as we see here, and becoming disciples, which we all are. The church here is referred to as, all of them, as disciples. Every single one of you is a disciple of Christ. And so we, we long to see families come to hear the word, but we long to see them come to see our numbers grow so that their faith might grow, so that they, their discipleship might be strengthened in Jesus Christ. So it's a different motive altogether from some other groups. But we do, we do want to see people come. We want to see the word of God go out and more and more people hear the saving grace of Christ in that gospel. We would long to see that the word would increase also in our hearts and in our minds. We, who are already here, are still growing. We see here that the word increase, that is, it in, increased in the hearts and minds of the people who heard it. And so, yes, we should be after numbers, but yes, we should also be after spiritual growth. We want to see the word increase in our minds and our hearts as well. It is not enough, to put it this, to put it this way, it's not enough that our numbers increase. That's not enough. It's that the families that make up these numbers would obey. That's what we're after. Obey the word of God. Now, how do we get there? Well, elsewhere, it is clear in Scripture that we must continue to pray in everything. We saw in Philippians, make our requests known to God in everything. And so we appeal to the Lord for these things. We plant and water, but who gives the growth? It is God. God gives the growth. If God gives the growth, then we must appeal to him for that growth. In the previous section, Gamaliel, a prominent Pharisee, spoke on behalf of the apostles who were about to be killed. They were about to be killed by the unbelieving Jews, and Gamaliel, Gamaliel stood up and he spoke on behalf of them. And it seems apparent that Gamaliel was not speaking from a heart of faith. It doesn't seem clear that Gamaliel truly cared about the welfare of the apostles. He, wasn't, he doesn't seem to be sincere. But what he said was true, or part of what he said was, in fact, true. He said, if this movement in the name of Jesus is from man, then it will fail. The apostles will most likely be killed. The movement will stop and will forget about them forever. It has happened before. That's what Gamaliel said. But then he also said, if this movement is from God, then it cannot fail. If we put them to death, we might even be opposing God. That's what Gamaliel said. And so they let them go. Well, guess what, Gamaliel? With all of your indecisiveness, it couldn't fail. It was from God. This was from God. What was happening was from God. The numbers increasing, people growing in grace, and it can't be stopped. It cannot be stopped. The advancement of the kingdom of heaven cannot be thwarted. As we see here, it's the same for us today, friends. Whatever increase, whether by number or obedience or both, must come from God. And so we must pray to him to this end and we must trust that it will happen. He will answer our prayers in accordance with his will. Now the pastors and elders should lead the way in this. Verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer 
and the ministry of the word. And so the leaders of the church should be the ones on the front lines praying at all times for these things to happen. But we all must pray. So we must pray. But praying is not the only activity that we have been called to. The church must preach the word of God. We must be faithful in proclaiming the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 42, we, we hear this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. In the church, this is done primarily by ordained men. Men set apart to do just this thing, to minister the gospel, to preach the word. Pastors and teachers. We see this here in verse 2. The twelve apostles, uh, the apostles summoned the whole church. Again, the whole church called disciples, but the apostles summoned them. And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve, table, to serve tables. And this is what pastors are called to do primarily, to preach the word, to minister the gospel. They are to devote themselves to this, to give themselves over to this activity, preaching the word. Verse 4, the disciples should be supportive. We see that they should be supportive of this calling. In other words, the church should not expect their pastors to function like CEOs. That is not what scripture calls them to be or to do. They don't have to cast visions. They don't have to develop a mission statement for each individual church, although that's not the worst thing in the world that a pastor can do. But that's not what they're ordained to do. They are not fundraisers for the church. They are first and foremost to be preachers of the word. To preach the word, to minister the gospel. And of course to live out that gospel. No one listens to a man who doesn't live out what he preaches. And so it's a high calling for sure, but the, the, the calling is preaching. Preaching the word. That's what pastors, preachers do. Now, this preaching is to be accompanied by much prayer. We are to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. If God is not at work in sermon preparation, if he's not at work in the delivery of the sermon, if God is not at work in the heart of the preacher, when we hear the word, then we shouldn't expect much to happen. God must, God must do this. God must do the work. In the preacher, through the preacher, and those who hear the pastor preaching the gospel, God must do it. And so preaching, we must preach, but we must also accompany that preaching with much prayer. Now tied to the ministry of the word, of course, is the administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So prayer, preaching of Christ from the word, is what the church does. But verse 7 here is presented as happening as a, as a direct result of what? We see in verse 7 that, yes, preaching is being done, Prayer, of course, is being done, and the church is increasing, and the, the people's faith is growing. But it's presented here, that, as being a direct result of what? What had just happened? In verse 1, as the numbers increase, the needs increase. As more and more people, as more and more families are added to the church, then it usually follows that there is going to be more need. More people, more need. That's just logical, and this is what was happening. A cry goes out from a section of the church there. These were the Greek-speaking Jews. They were called Hellenists, who alongside the Hebrews, they were gathering around the gospel. 
These people were originally from non-Jewish nations, but they had converted to Judaism, and now they're gathering around the preaching of the word. Now, for some reason, some of the neediest among this section, the widows, were not receiving what they needed from the church. There was a daily distribution, which is uh, referred to here as the daily distribution of, of needs, daily resources. These widows were not receiving what they needed to live. This ministry is also referred to here as serving tables. The idea there is simply preparing a meal, preparing something for a hungry person to eat. These widows were not getting what they needed to live. Now this is, this is what deacons are, and this is what they primarily do. They serve tables. They're waiters. They serve tables. They, of course, can do other things. They, take, they can take up other responsibilities as, as needed, and certainly they should if, if they're needed for this. But we should also always keep in mind that deacons are not first and foremost property managers. That is not why deacons exist in the church, to manage the property. Though, if they have time and the resources, certainly we welcome their help in this. We don't ordain deacons so that they can be in charge of overseeing the church building. Please understand that. They can help with this. That's not why they exist. Nor are deacons meant to be the first step in achieving a higher office. Although, this can happen. In fact, one of the men being ordained this morning is feeling a call to gospel ministry. So, Lord willing, at some point, he will become a minister. But for now, he's being called to be a deacon at this church. So, that can happen, but that deacon is not to be thought of as the first step towards becoming something higher climbing the corporate ladder, as it were, in the church. First deacon, then you become a priest, then you become a bishop. That is not what, that's, not what scripture, that's not how Scripture presents it. In the true church, especially in the Reformed churches like ours, deacons ordained to do two primary, primary things, and they happen at the same time. The first thing that they are ordained and installed to do is to relieve the pastors and elders from extra work. They make my job easier. They make our elders' jobs easier. That's one of the things that they are called to do. We ordain deacons so that pastors can devote themselves to prayer and to preaching, and elders can devote themselves to teaching as well and to shepherding the flock and to prayer. Of course, some of these things overlap, but you you see the point. Deacons relieve elders and pastors from some of the work that would have had to, been to be done by them so that they can focus on what they've been primarily called to do. Preach the word, pray, shepherd the flock of God. So deacons relieve these other officers of extra work. It is not right, verse 2, it is not right that we should serve tables. That is, we, the preachers of the word, the teachers, the elders, should serve tables. So the first thing they do is that. They relieve pastors and elders from extra work. The second thing, and it happens at the same time, is to do just this, to serve tables. That's what they've been called to do. Deacons exist in the church to serve tables. Now, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but the first thing I would like to look at are are a couple of things. 
And one is this. The whole church is involved. In verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, the whole church, and the church, as we are told here, picked out from among them seven men to do just this, to serve tables. And he, then he names them all. And so this decision, we are, we are told here, and this whole experience, verse 5, please the whole gathering. So the whole church is involved. This is something that all of you have been involved in. In, have been involved in up until this point and are still involved in today. You picked these men. Of course, the session picked them out, but you voted on them. You approved them. So you're a part of this. And the church here we saw is pleased with this. And so we should be all delighted in what's happening this morning. It's a very pleasant thing for the church to know that good men are serving tables for the needs of those in our churches, for the neediest among us. Is that not a good thing to know, that we have men set apart for when a need goes up, when a cry goes out, there they are, ready to serve. It's a good thing. It's a pleasant thing. The second thing is this, and we'll briefly look at these. There are, there are qualifications for these men. The office of deacon is not just for anyone who wants it. There are standards. These men had to have a good reputation in verse 3. And then Stephen, we are told, is described as being someone who is full of faith. This all takes time to discern. The church needs to see evidence of this in men. They need to discern whether or not all these things are actually there, that they have strong faith in Christ. Now, what this would include, of course, is consistency in worship, humble service in the church. These are some of the things that the church needs to see before they just let anyone uh, become a deacon. Consistency in love home and at work, purity in speech. These are the kinds of things we see in Scripture that should be evident in men who seek the office of deacon. Paul later says, and be tested first. We also see here that these men had wisdom. Deacons must be wise. They can't just give money and resources to anyone. They are not ATM machines for the church. They have to be discerning and wise. Some people come to our doors looking to rob the church. They want to take advantage of the resources we have. Deacons have to be aware of that and make decisions in that regard. Deacons also have to be aware of people who might repeatedly get themselves in financial trouble for whatever reason. And so perhaps they will need at some point to work with the elders to deal with what they see as a problem and someone who continually is asking for help when maybe they don't necessarily need the help. That should go to someone else. That takes wisdom. And then, of course, you think about how much to give those who are in need. How often? This all takes wisdom. And so this is what is required in these men. They must be wise enough to acknowledge the need and to meet their needs, to meet the needs of the people in the church who have these needs, meet them with generosity and compassion. Brothers and sisters who are in need, they are in a weak position, usually. Deacons need to be aware of that. They need to have the wisdom to assess that this is not an easy thing for someone to do, to ask for help, to ask for help when they're in need, to not be able to meet their daily needs. There's a weak position to be in. Deacons need to be very wise in that situation and, of course, treat these people with love and compassion and grace. This all takes wisdom. Finally, the raising up of deacons in the church and their ongoing service, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is mentioned twice in this section, verse 3. Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit. Then in verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What this means is that these men that are being ordained this morning here and were ordained in Paul's day or in, in the days of the apostles. Paul hadn't been converted yet, Acts 6. What this means is that these men that are being called to the office of deacon this morning, they are being called by the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our church, to serve the church. It means also that they should lead the way in exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's what that means. So there's obligations for them, but it also means there's obligations for us as well, that we would not resist the work of the Spirit in our church, but we would support them and pray for them. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our church this morning. This is what we see from this text. And so we should encourage these brothers, pray for them, support them in their ministry. No doubt there will be bumps, bumps in the road after they are ordained. No doubt. But we support them. We pray for them. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. We would do well to recognize this. Look at what the Spirit did in, in the days of the apostles. Verse 7, word of God, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly as a result of ordaining deacons, installing deacons to serve the needs of the church. This is what the Spirit was doing. Now, the last thing, what is happening in the church here when deacon? what is, the last thing I want to look at here is, is to answer the question, what is happening in the church when deacons serve tables? What is actually taking place? When someone's in need and the deacons meet that need, they serve tables, what is happening? Well, the word deacon comes from a Greek word which means to serve. Diakoneo, that's the Greek word. You can hear deacon in there. Diakoneo, deacon. It's the word that's used in verse 2, serve tables. Tables is a different word, but the word serve is that Greek word. In the, day, in the days of the apostles, there were healings and miracles. Lame people were being healed. The blind were given sight. There are no more apostles today. Therefore, there are no more miracle workers in the church. They're, they don't exist. Whoever claims that they are one of those is a false teacher and should be ignored. Miracle workers do no, no longer exist in the church. We have the word of God. We have the preaching of the word. We have the sacraments. And in, the, in that sense, the church has been normalized. And so the normal work of the church is just that. Preaching, sacraments, prayer, singing. But there is a kind of merciful healing ministry that Christ continues today. And it happens in large part through the deacons. Of course, through your free giving as well, because the deacons draw from whatever sacrifices the whole church has made. But Christ is still participating in a kind of healing ministry in the church that takes place primarily through the deacons. Let me show you why I can make that statement, why I think I can make that statement. In Mark chapter 10, this is the words of Jesus. He says this about himself. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Diakoneo. It's a form of that word. 
He came not to be served, but to be a deacon. To serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The ransom, the death of Christ that heals us of all of the effects of sin, that heals us from the damaging effects of sin against God, is the ground upon which deacons do their work. And it's one of the ways in which Jesus continues to heal you through the work of these men this morning and the men we have already. I came not to be served, but to serve tables. I came to be the chief deacon and to give my life as a ransom for many. When someone is in need, when someone is weak, a widow, poor, they need help. And the church steps up to the plate through the deacons and generously gives it to them. Where else do you see that kind of tangible evidence of the mercy of Jesus Christ? It's, it's difficult to find another place. That's what's happening. Every time this happens. And so this work is important. It's a high calling. Jesus is the chief deacon. And he continues to call deacons in the church today. And he's doing so uh, this morning. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for faithful deacons. Praise the Lord for the free and cheerful giving of the church so that we can help, properly help, the neediest among us. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word this morning and for the office of deacon. We thank you for your ongoing care and love through, the off, through this office in the church. We thank you for the mercy of Christ who is, that is continually shown to us in meeting our daily needs and especially meeting the needs of, of those who are in desperate situations, to those who are the neediest among us. So we pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit. We thank you for the work of the spirit this morning. Help us, Father, to not be resistant to the work of the Spirit at our church. And we pray that you would continue uh, to advance your kingdom here and to add to our numbers day by day those that are being saved. In- increase the number of disciples here at Providence and increase the word of God in our hearts that we might become obedient to the faith, more obedient to the faith. Father, we do thank you for the ransom of Jesus Christ who served us when we were desperate, when we were in our weakest position and laid down his life for us. Father, bless us in this regard, and bless uh, these men as we ordain them into this office. Father, we now pray for the nations of the world and for our nation. We beseech you, dear faithful Father, through your Son, that you would show mercy to the civil leaders around the world and to our president and our governors and city officials. Help them, Father, to administer to their office to your honor and according, in accordance with your will. We ask, Father, that you would provide for our missionaries out of the abundance of your riches. We pray that your spirit would be at work in them and that you would use them for the furtherance of your kingdom as we pray for the hawk boards serving in Ukraine. We pray for the work of home missions, asking that you would bless the work of Reverend Sumter in our church plants as we pray and lift up to you this morning Good Shepherd OPC, New Braunfels OPC, and Hayes County's OPC. We pray for the preachers and the elders there and the 
officers and uh, the church members who serve in this capacity. Father, grant them your grace in sustaining uh, power as they seek to uh, bring the gospel to bear in this dark age. Father, we pray now for the needs of our church. We pray for all who are gathered here today. We pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would gather your sheep, that you would gather your disciples to the preaching of the word here, that we would all be one flock, be one flock and have one shepherd. We pray, Father, that you would uh, drive from our hearts all forms of atheism and unbelief and fear and anxiety. We pray, Father, that you would establish us in, in the word and help us to understand our place in your kingdom. Father, we pray for those who grieve. We pray for those who suffer and who are burdened by trials and difficulties of various kinds. We lift them up to you this morning, asking that you would be at work in their hearts and their minds. We pray for those with cancer. Be with Jim Witt, John Burleson, Hikari Van Dam. Father, we pray now for our elderly among us, asking that you would cause them to walk and not be faint, to run and not be weary, and that you would keep their eyes focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray for Dorothy, Kay, Hal, Rosalie, Jean, Linda. Father, we lift up to you the Broccolo family, Autumn, and Aiden and the Potts family, thanking you for their lives and for your grace to them. Father, provide for their needs. We lift up to the Acorafors as they search for a home. Father, we thank you this morning for the, the Fokamas. We thank you for Brandon and Ruth and for Avery and for the faith that you have worked in them. We pray that you would fan into flame the gift of faith that you've given to them and provide for all of their needs. Father, grant them your grace that they would be established in paths of righteousness and that you would cause their cup to overflow. We thank you for this family. Father, fill our hearts with love and compassion toward them, that we would serve their needs and continually pray for them. Father, we commit our church into your hands. We commit the rest of this service and the ordination into your hands, asking that you would continue to be at work among us. For we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and King, who taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, as our deacons come forward, we now have the wonderful opportunity to respond to the gospel with our free and gracious giving. May the Lord be pleased to multiply the fruit from our sacrifices. Amen.
I'd like to ask the session of Providence to come forward now and for our, our prospective deacons to come forward uh, as well, John Springer and David Capella. Friends, we've just learned why deacons exist. We've just learned this morning why these men are responding to what they believe to be a call from the Holy Spirit, which we believe it is. Why this is all taking place this morning. And one of the things that our book helps us with also is summarizes some of what they will be doing and what they will be expected to do. Uh, The duties of deacons consist of encouraging members of the church to provide for those who are in want, who are in need, seeking to prevent poverty, making discreet and cheerful distribution to the needy, praying with the distressed and reminding them of the consolations of Holy Scripture. If they are to fill, fill worthily so sacred an office, deacons must adorn sound doctrine by holy living, setting an example of godliness in all their relations with men. Let them walk with exemplary piety and diligently discharge the obligations of their office. And when the chief shepherd shall be manifested, they shall receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is what they've been called to do. We are called to support them in this. Brothers, I would like you to give assent to the following questions. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Yes. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Yes. Do you approve of the government, discipline, and worship of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church? Yes. Do you promise to seek the purity, the peace, and the unity of the church? Do you accept the office of deacon in this congregation and promise in reliance on the grace of God faithfully to perform all the duties thereof? Amen. This is where you guys come in. Do you, and you, you will give your assent to this question by simply raising your right hand. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive these brothers, John and David as deacons, and do you promise to yield to them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which their office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? Amen. Well, now we'll move to the actual ordination. If you would step down, I would like to invite our present deacons to come forward as well. Well, friends, um, now that they have given assent to their vows and you have given assent to support them in this service, I now declare that John Springer and David Capella 
have been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as deacons in this church, agreeably to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and that they are entitled to all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which their office entitles him. Amen. Again, one final exhortation to the church. This ordination requires that we respond to them with faith and love, and that we support them in this ministry. And let us give thanks to God for what he's doing this morning. Let's pray together, friends. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today thankful for the blessings that are ours, not because we deserve them, not because in some way we have inherited them by birth or by ethnicity or nationality, but solely because of the mercies of Christ that you have seen fit to bestow upon us through your sovereign grace. And we thank you, Father, that as a part of that sovereign grace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the chief deacon, has seen fit to call David and John to the office of deacon in this church to be commissioned by you to serve the gospel by serving others. And we do pray, Father, that you would equip them in every way, prepare them with energy, prepare them with enthusiasm, prepare them with grace, prepare them with kindness, prepare them with firmness, that they might serve you all the days of their lives. We pray that you would bless us as church members, that we would be quick to help them, quick to assist them, quick to love them. Bless us now, Father, as a church, that this day might be a day of rejoicing and inauguration of new and glorious days ahead so that you might call many to yourself through the work of these men. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can see why I was excited. (laughs) Amen. We are going to do something a little bit different uh, this morning. Rather than uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed, uh, I would like to recite Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer uh, 25, which can be found on page 969 of your hymnal. So page 969, Shorter Catechism question and answer 25. It deals with the, the priestly service of Jesus Christ, which is something that these men will be taking part in along with the other deacons. And let's all stand together as we recite Shorter Catechism 25 as a profession of our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian, how doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, 
and reconcile us to God, and in making continual intercession for us. Amen. If you would now turn to our last hymn, hymn 351, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, hymn 351. Before we give the benediction, uh, I want to invite uh, John and David to come forward after the service and please come congratulate them and uh, uh, commend them on this step in their lives and this wonderful step in the life of, of our church. Our friends of God, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.